0: Much everybody for joining us on Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels, the senior pastor at Enoch Baptist Church in Virginia Beach. Uh, Today we got a really good show. Um, The topic is friendships and who you should let back in the boat after you've told them to get out the boat. And and also we're gonna be dealing with the subject of forgiveness of people who have backstabbed you or done you wrong and also dealing with People that have hated on you after you found out from other people, and I do say other people because they're gossiping and everything like that, how to handle those type situations and whether or not you should address it head on or just let God handle it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Daniels.
1: Thank you so much. It's always great to be here. And I think, you know, those are great topics because that's the everyday, you know, where the... rubber hit the road kind of thing where where people find themselves in turmoil and and, and when they find themselves in situations where um, it affects really uh, their emotional well-being. So I think those are great things to look at and examine how we can either mend or move on uh, regardless of the situation.
0: Now, um, getting to one of the the things I mentioned, the, the backstabbing, you know, we've all had a situation. If you've lived long enough, you've had a situation to where you had a friend. Or a person that you thought was a friend and you come to find out that the whole time that they was either holding you back or talking behind your back or doing things. And then once you get past that hurtful part of the situation, how do you handle whether or not you continue to be their friend or is it time to let go?
1: Well, you know, I I think one of the things we have to consider um, is is this is is um, were they purposefully trying to do me harm or is that just a part of their personality? Um, because there's some people that just like to keep things going, not because they're necessarily trying to bring you down, but that's just their personality. And, and the other thing I look at also is, is what was the real impact of what they have done? You know, I mean, we call it backstabbing, but, you know, what was the impact? For example, you know, is this someone who, who caused me to lose my job? Or is this someone that just caused... Uh, something that I thought was private to be put out in the public, you know. And if it's someone that, let's say, caused me to lo- lose my livelihood, and if they did it maliciously, then that's a different story. You know, of course, you don't want to let your enemy back in your camp because, you know, by and large, right. you know, whatever they felt, they're not, they're not, that's not going to change unless they have had a serious change of heart. Uh, but let's just take the other one, for example. Let's say that, you know, you have a close friend. And so, you know, you guys are used to trading secrets. And so that person, you know, lets the cat out of the bag. And so that causes you some distress because some things that you thought were private are now out in the open. So, you know, to me, the question then becomes, were they were they doing that to harm me? Or are they doing that because they wanted to be in with somebody else, and oftentimes that's what folk will do. Is because you know people like to divulge information so that they can get in with another group of individuals or an individual. So, and that's the case that we always look at things as this: um, Why am I expecting people who will? gossip to hold my stuff. You know, that's really how I look at it. If, If you and I can exchange stuff and you give me information about somebody else, then chances are you give other folk information about me. So my personal thought is I have to be careful not to ever divulge anything that I don't mind being public anyway, because no matter how much a person tells me that they won't say anything You know, everybody's human, so things can slip. And so, to me, it's not an issue about letting them back in. The question is, you know, can I be mature enough to accept that they're human? And if I can do that, then I can let them back in. But I just have to understand from this point forward that I can't give them the confidence that I used to give them.
0: Now, the question I have is, at, at that point, do you confront the person? Is it okay to confront them about what you know You know, and and this is the part where I always tell people, I say, "Okay, you deal with the facts. If you have hardcore proof that the person said this, that, or whatever about you or let some secret that you told, you know, that you confided in with them out, then how do you go about um, confronting them on that issue? Well, here's the thing. Uh,
1: If it's truly a secret, let's say, and only two of us know, (laughs) then there's only one way for it to have gotten out. I told somebody or the person told somebody. So, you know, uh, and if I didn't tell anybody and the walls didn't talk, then I knew it had to be the other person. My thing is you, you always uh, confront the person, but you don't be confrontational. There's a difference between confronting and being confrontational. So if you said something that I think you should not have said, then, you know, my thing is to let you know that, hey, you know, here's the situation. You know, word got back to me. You know, that this came up in conversation and I thought, you know, you and I had understanding. Uh, So, you know, if if that happened, you know, uh, let's look at why this kind of thing. But I'm not going to attack you because I think you did it, you know. And only reason why I bring it up that way is not to be confrontational, but sometimes people just need to know that the person they think will hold something in confidence will not. Because let's say for this, you know, for sake of argument, That, you know, you tell me something in confidence and I go tell my wife in confidence. You know, this Mm -hmm. is what, you know, Brother Baker said to me. And I tell her, don't tell nobody. You know, I'm trusting her to to keep it in confidence. Right. But then she goes and tells her, you know, someone she believes will keep it in confidence. And then it kind of circles around and you get it back. So then even that person needs to, I need to know what, that the person I thought would hold my confidence won't hold it either, and so that's one reason why you know I, I'm always uh about being forthright with people because it helps everybody learn.
0: Yeah. Mm. So and you're right when you tell your wife something, you tell them not to tell anybody. It you know they, it just happens. So I'm always uh been tell I've always told people if you want a secret. You know, don't tell anybody. Right. If you just told one person, you've told another person. You know, if you want to keep a secret, keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. So now, um, four is with people um, that's like this. And we talked earlier about how do you handle this when it happens in a church environment? Because a lot of the times people say, well, I'm not going to such and such church. or I'm not going to church, period, because there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. You know, all they do is talk about people and there's gossiping all throughout the church. Is that just due to human nature? Or is it heightened for, because it's church why we always tend to look at it as a negative, but even though it's happening on a regular basis outside the church?
1: I think it happens everywhere. It happens certainly in your places of employment. It happens in your, your family, you know, community. And it happens in church. For some reason, people tend to think that when people come to church, they lose all the characteristics that they had when they were away from church. Uh, but if a liar joins the church, they don't stop lying. Right. You know, if a gossiper joins the church, they don't stop gossiping. In fact, um, I, it, it always has intrigued me why people think that membership in a church automatically confers, you know some sort of perfection on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would kind of be like when everyone enters the doors of a hospital, they all of a sudden get well, you you know. And if you go in the hospital, you don't get well just because you come in the door. You know, you're sick for a period of time. Some people don't even make it out of the hospital. In fact, the hospital is filled with sick people. So if you you look at the church in that light, let's say, that there are people who are sick, you know, we say sin sick, but there are people who have issues, they have problems, everyday problems. When they come to church, they don't just cure as soon as they walk through the door. It would be nice if they did, but they don't. So the people in the church are are not a whole lot different from people outside the church, but they're just on a road. They're trying to get better. They're trying to improve their life. So so will they be gossiping? Yes, but they were gossiping before they got to the church as well. Right. Will they be telling your your you know most in the most secrets? Well, if you came to church and gave them out, they were no longer secret. That's the thing. <laughs> right. People have to understand. So if I came to church and I'm in prayer, let's say we have a prayer and praise service. And if I get up and testify and I tell folk everything right. and then people start talking about what I just said. Well, I told everybody. Right. And so now I shouldn't be mad because folk told me. Let's say that, for example, if if I, you know, well, because I, I can it would be an unwed mother, but let's just say it's an unwed mother. And, you know, she she's a member of the church. She comes there. She's been a wonderful person, singing on the choir, doing great things. And all of a sudden, we notice that there is a baby bump, and that bump starts to grow. And so, right. you know, people are going to start thinking, wow, we know she's not married. Now she's pregnant. And so then people start talking, you know, whispering. Mm-hmm. Now, she may get upset and say, I can't believe these church folk, they're always talking about people. Well, you know, um, it's evident that you are pregnant. It's evident that you know you're not married, and so it's not that folk are gossiping. They're just noting what is evident. So, right. should I get mad at folk because they see that I have done something that's contrary to biblical principles? No. But it's just like when people who live together come to church, it is evident they're not married. They have different last names. Live at the same address. Right. So, if I'm doing something that's evident, to me, it seems simple rather than me getting upset that people talk about my wrongdoing, stop doing wrong.
0: Yeah. Switching gears here a little bit. Um, one of the uh, the questions I always get from people that's newly joined a church or coming to church in general for the first few times is the the cloud of negativity that's over a church when you first walk in because everything it seems like you're doing in your life is the absolute wrong thing. And then sometimes... When you start going to church, a lot of negative stuff starts happening to you. Is that um, explain that to me? I got an idea what could it, what it could be, but explain that to me. Why is it that when you start going to church on a regular basis, it seems like, oh, uh, you know, my lights wasn't cut off last. You know, all year mm-hmm. I start going to church, my lights start getting cut off, or I've run into issues. You know, then I said, well, maybe I shouldn't go to church. Is that something that happens on a regular basis, or is it more subconscious and, and people self-inflicting it? No, I, I don't think it's something that happens on a regular basis. In
1: fact, I think it's the opposite. But here's what I think is the driving force behind that. Most people that come to church have a reason for coming to church. And, and usually it's, just, it's, it's not that you know they had some epiphany that they woke up in the middle of the night and said, you know, wow, I need Jesus in my life. Most people come to church because there are issues in their life. There there are emergencies in their life that drive them to seek help somewhere. So the average person that comes where, you know, well, that's that's a part of the issue. The problem has already manifested itself. It's not like it's not there. The problem has manifested itself, and that's what drove you to church in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue may not have come to the point where you feel like it's a disaster, but you're moving in that direction. So let's say for the sake of argument that, you know, there's an individual and that they're experiencing financial distress, you know, in the first place. So they come to church, they're praying, they're doing what they need to do, they're thinking to themselves, well, God is going to make it all right. Uh, well, God didn't make it all wrong in the first place. See, it wasn't God that, that told you to go and max out your credit cards. It wasn't right. God that told you to go and buy a car you couldn't afford, moving to a house you couldn't afford. So now you come to church and your thought process is God going to make it all right. So up to this point, you haven't been evicted, okay, but you were getting behind before you came to church. And then you're there for two or three months, until so they start serving notice on you. So you say, you know what? Before I joined here, this wasn't happening in my life. Yes, it was. That's why you came to church in the first place. Right. There's another difference, too. When people are out in the world, um, let's say, they will do unsavory things to resolve the issue. Okay? So, again, let's say it's the same situation. I'm a little financially strapped. I don't have the money to get there. But this is what I do know. If I go by... worth of marijuana. And I cut it up, I can make $300 back. And so now... I can do a little something with it, so that. But when I'm in the church, I'm trying to do the right thing. See, I don't do that kind of thing. Gotcha. Or I can, you know, I can do. The, if I'm open female, I can find some guy that can help me pay this bill off. You know, or those kind of things. I can right. say to him, you know, you pay my phone bill, or else you can't spend the night. <laughs> and so, you know, it's those kind of things that are, that p- allow people to kind of cut those corners. When they get in church, that doesn't happen. I don't know anyone that came to church and was living a great life and a straight life. When I say straight, I mean a life that was not based on them stealing, conniving, and that kind of thing. You know, it was average person working every day, doing what they're supposed to do, They came to church and all of a sudden the bottom fell out. <laughs> you know, that right. normally just doesn't happen. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, the economy is going to turn down whether you're in church or out of church. You know, and, and the scripture says this, it rains on the just as well as the unjust. It means, what everybody's going to get wet. <laughs> right. So whether you're in church or out of church, you're still going to get wet. The, the issue is, if I do what the Lord tells me to do uh, in the long haul, I'm going to always benefit. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, you know, we always talk about the 80-20 rule, people kind of related to um Tyler Perry movie, but that's really not where it comes from. <laughs> if you look at uh, Scripture in the Bible, where you know, in one instance where God told um, Joseph to a dream, how he should combat downturns in the economy. And the position was simple, that in good times, um, you you um, live off of um, four-fifths of whatever revenue is being produced, and you put one-fifth away, which right. basically is you put 20% away, which means you that's 80-20. You live off 80, you put 20 away. Well, if I'm doing that consistently, and the economy has a downturn, I only need to do that for five years to have 100% of my income. Right. Right. Now, let's say I am a a believer in the tithing system. So I tithe 10 and save 10. Well, if I do it for 10 years, I still have 100% of my annual income. Now, if you look at economic trends, what, you you know, you probably can figure out is it usually on eight-year cycles. It's somewhere between eight to 10-year cycles. So that means more than likely I'm going to have eight years of upswing, then i am probably get one or two years of downswing, you know, because that's how the cycles run. So if I do that for that period of time, I will always have sufficient income to deal with through the downturns. The problem is even church folk don't follow the rules. (laughs) So if you don't follow the rules, when the economic downturn happens, you find yourself in distress.
0: Yeah, I was reading a book, Pastor, on the name of the book was called Profit First. And they talk about something similar to that, basically in the business world, taking your profit right off the top and putting it in a whole separate bank account so you can't touch it to make sure you don't put it back in the business. Mm-hmm. Same similar concept, but it's like it's in the Bible already. Like take your 20% right off the top before you do anything and put it away. And then spend the other 80% on quote unquote operating expenses. Right. Same thing with you know your livelihood and things like that. If you go past 80%, that's when you start having issues. If you want to live comfortably, keep it at that. 80%, even though um, the proper first book, they talk about 65% mm-hmm. operating expense because you got to pay taxes. Sure. You know, so, but um, the concept is still the same. And you'd be amazed, Pastor, that how many businesses out there go from check to check and they don't have the ability to save up money to invest in something else because they're not taking that principle that's right there in the Bible that's been in there for thousands of years, is sitting right there. But you know, a lot of times people don't pick up the book because it's either too intimidating or written in a way that they don't necessarily understand it, you know, or maybe there's want to be able to plead ignorance. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a, a little bit of everything you
1: said, and I say a little bit of everything you said because I look at it this way: the average business person, let's say the average business person, is. Pretty, pretty literate. You know, has a has a fair sense of reading. Now, you know, I hear hear people say all the time that it's difficult to read the Bible, difficult to understand. Well, here's the deal: Um, the Bible that most of us read was translated in 1611. Okay, So 1611, it was translated um, based on the orders of um, King James now, so, which would suggest that it was done by folk that were in uh, Europe, you know, in England in particular. Right. Uh, and if, if we took look at literature in general, uh, if you read literature that was written around in the 1600s, what you find is there's the same type of reading that you find in the Bible, the these, the dowels, and those kind of things, the same thing. So if I can make it through uh, a junior college, and I have understood Oedipus Rex and Shakespeare. If I really understand that, I can understand the Bible because it's the same language. Right. Now, now, granted, there are people who get through a two-year college or even four-year colleges, and when they read that kind of stuff, they don't really care about it. They don't try to understand it. just try to make the grade and get out of class. But the language is no different than that language. Um and, and because here's what we know, um, people that were in, in, in Israel didn't speak um, thee and thou. They spoke Hebrew, which is not right. thee and thou. So it's a translation of it. But as far as the eighty twenty 20 and, and, and that thing, I, I think it's an issue of people not wanting to follow it. Not that they don't understand it, you know. And and businesses are no different than families. You know, the, the person that runs their household check to check, we run their business check to check, right? And 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 that's how people like to operate, uh, because most people like to live at the fringe of their income. You know, most people do, and, and because of that, that's the position they find themselves in. And that's an American trait. You know, we are a culture that likes to live at the fringe. We like to live higher than what we need to for various reasons. You know, you know, for example. Uh, and and I'll, I'll use myself as an example, so I won't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, th- there's myself and my wife, right? And we have a four-bedroom house. Now, right. here's the deal. How many rooms can we sleep in? <laughs> you, right. you know, I mean, we don't need four bedrooms. Matter of fact, it just becomes, it uh, drains excess income because you now I had to heat and cool and, and clean, all that kind of thing. Even when I had two children at home, right. I didn't need four bedrooms. Three would have been sufficient, Uh, you know, a girl, a boy, you know, my wife and I. So I'm saying, but that's how Americans think. You know, we don't buy what we need. We buy what we want. And so because of our culture, you know, and the same thing with businesses, many businesses don't operate based on what they need, they operate based on what they want. And so they drain the business rather than doing what you said. You know, let's operate the business based on the long haul and not based on this first year. You right. Know? And so let's do what we need and let's, you know, keep the value rolling, that kind of thing.
0: Right. You know, that was, that brings me to when I went um, car shopping and, you know, and, and I really wanted a um, a BMW. So that's what I ended up getting, you know, because that's what I wanted. Right. But then talking to my wife, we wanted. Certain things in the car, we wanted to be able, you know, wanted it to be able to stream our music, you know, Bluetooth streaming and everything. Then we found out that the Ford Focus did all of that. <laughs> so of course, I talked to her and I said, "Well, the Ford Focus and you know, and in a Chevy Impala's got this stuff in there. Now we could." you know get that you know she looked at me cross-eyed like mm-hmm. you know you know what are you talking yeah. about you know I ain't about to drive that you know that for anybody out there that's driving that but right. that's the whole what we kind of get into too you know and I'm guilty of that myself you know I I love my car mm-hmm. you know um and yes do I need that car no I do not need absolutely need that car but we all fall in that and that trap but I do remember, and and, and I, I talked to my wife a lot about this. Is if you went off to college and you left home, you found out real quick what you need versus what you want. Absolutely. You know, because I remember back in the day, past the um, twenty dollars, well, I made that thing stretch for a whole week. Mm-hmm. You know, buying the um, I make the going to Piglet Wiggly and buying mm-hmm. not chocolate milk. Chocolate drink. And that literally that's what it said up there was chocolate drink for two dollars. You know, so you able I was able to make things work based off what I needed versus what I wanted. Right. Right. And
1: that's 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 the key. So, again, that's why I'm saying, you know, to, you know, um, based on what you asked me earlier, is that I don't think that people necessarily uh, church causes them more problems. I think that they have the problem. They come to church and they expect a quick fix. And there is no quick fix. If it took you 20 years to get down, it's going to probably take you similar time to get up. You know, and you know, even when you deal with it from a standpoint of relationships, you know, people sometimes have bad relationships. They come to church, think they're going to get better, and, and they don't get better overnight. Uh, I tell people, uh, and it's just a general rule of thumb, that for every year you've been having a problem, it's probably going to take at least a month to get it to get all the issues to where they can be resolved. But the resolution will only come if people are willing to follow the outline that's being laid out for how to right. to go. Uh, so you figure if you've been married 12 years, it's going to take you a year to get it right. The problem is people don't wait a year, you know. So they, they you start laying out the foundation for how you should correct your problems. And then out of four months, somebody gets tired, and they'll be like, it's been four months, and we've been coming to church, and we've been seeking this biblical counseling, and it ain't worked yet. I'm sick of it, and they move on. Right. Well, but you put up with it for twelve years originally, and right. now you don't want to invest twelve months to get it corrected. So you give up after four months, and so you're back to square one again. But then you blame God or you blame the church and say, well, the church didn't do it. Wasn't well, the church that didn't do it? It's the person that didn't want to stay in, you know, in the format that was laid out until everything got resolved.
0: Now, do you think that's because they want somebody to blame at that point? Like they're maybe searching for someone or something else to blame for it not working?
1: I think most people want someone else to blame. I I, I rarely find people that accept, you know, responsibility for their own actions. You know, one of the thing, you know, I, I uh, try to impress upon people is simply this. The minute you become the victim, the minute you become the victim, (laughs) it's just that simple. So I guess my point is this. If I blame you for my failure, then I fail because I'm blaming the wrong person, you know, And, and so. Uh, because my failure is never what you did; it's what I did not do. Right? That, that, you know, it's nothing you can do to cause me to fail. You know, you can tell on me. You know, and like you mentioned, the backbiting deal. But your telling on me is not what caused me to fail. It's what I did wrong that you revealed. But if I never did the wrong, there will be nothing for you to tell. Right. So it's me that caused me to fail. Now I may blame you and say you shouldn't have told on me. But I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> then then, then right. I wouldn't have failed. And so the same thing with relationships is that I have to always go back and ask myself, you know, is it really me? Now, uh, again, let, let's say for the sake of argument that I'm in a relationship, you know, and that my wife, um, she, you know, is is tired of us living where we are, or whatever. Uh, don't don't like you know the way I'm conducting business, and and you know she's just fed up with me for whatever reason. Right. And so she leaves. Now, I may look at and say, you know what, but I'm doing everything the Bible tells me to do. You know I, 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 you know, I was a dog. I was hitting the clubs. Now I'm doing everything right, and now she's mad. And I blame her because I say, you know what, I'm doing right. Why can't she do right? Well, but I met her in the club. Right. You know, and that's what we were doing when I met her. I, I met her a certain way. So should I really blame her for not changing her stripes? Right. Or should I blame me? Because I'm the one that changed. And so really, I made the wrong decision. I selected her in the club and now I'm mad because she wants to stay in the club. Right. And I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm in the church. I love the Lord and I'm singing on the choir and uh, I'm mentoring kids. And, and how could this woman do this to me? Well, no, I selected her that way, and I expected her to change. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, and I don't anybody get mad, but I tell folk all the time: any time you find a person that's by themselves, you better ask yourself why. Right by <laughs> yourself. That's know? right. Okay, how pretty they look. You better ask yourself why. And there's always a reason why. Either <laughs> mm-hmm. somebody threw them away. <laughs> <laughs> or they walked away. Or they walked away. And you better figure out which was the case and make sure that you can put up with whichever the case was. So if they walked away, you better make sure you're not the type of person they walked away from. <laughs> if right. somebody threw them away, you better make sure you can put up with the reasons why they got thrown away.
0: <laughs> right. Now, going back to what you were talking about, That they, if you met them in the club and they're still in the club, even though after you are now in the church or doing the things in the church. Now, I would tell the people, it's like, well, did you love the person when he was in the club? And they haven't changed. Mm -hmm. And now that you're not in the club, why did you stop loving the person? Because they haven't changed. If you know they're going to the club, they're not doing nothing to harm the relationship with you. They're not cheating on you or doing anything like that. So why should you feel, I understand that you may want them to come to church, And be more involved in the church, but that's not what you married or what you fell in love with. So now, let's say a person can't get past that and they are married. What can they do, if anything, to correct the situation? Well, you know, um, that's a
1: that's a deep question. Because you, well, you preface it by saying, "What if they can't get past it?" Right. <laughs> so that's the thing. If you can't get past it, we we're in trouble right there. But let's just say that's the situation. That I got someone, um, and I'm saved. I'm now saved, sanctified, got the Holy Ghost, and they still going to the club every Thursday night because that's Ladies' Night. Perhaps I don't know what the nights are now, but let's say right. it's Ladies' Night, so they go because that's free, and and, uh, and they on Friday night because after all, you got to hang out on Friday night, right? Uh, and, and that's and that's, so I'm home by myself all night long, and. and And you're right. Maybe they're not doing anything, but that just bothers me to no end. You know, so what are my choices? You know, because I used to go with them, but now I don't. OK. The issue for me would be um, if 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 it is a a, um, a situation where I can't take it, you know, if I can't take it, then I can't blame them. Again, I have to blame me. And that's why I say, you know, you can't. I can't say I'm being victimized by the person because I'm the one that can't take what they're doing. So if I can't take what they're doing, I have to reassess my own self, where am I at? Because I'm saying I'm the Christian. I'm saying I'm the one that has all these values. I'm saying I'm the one that now is filled with the Holy Ghost. So if I truly am filled with the Holy Ghost... That means I'm the one that should be practicing what Paul elaborates in the 13th chapter 1 Corinthians, which is love is long-suffering, love is patient, love is kind. So I'm the one that should be saying to myself, you know what? I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be long-suffering because I'm the Christian. And so if I'm fully what I said, it's my responsibility to be what I said I am.
0: Right. And then it goes back to, like, what we was talking about earlier about people um, backbiting on you. If you consider them a friend, a close friend, no one is perfect. So somebody's going to make a mistake. It's whether or not how you deal with that. And it's still on you. It's not on them. Absolutely. It's, it's always
1: on, on me, you know, because— Really what you look at is a matter of, you know, forgiveness, as we kind of talked about a little bit before. It's about forgiveness. And, and and one of the things I think that most people have an issue with is that they don't really understand forgiveness, the way the Bible outlines forgiveness. So what I oftentimes tell folk is f- forgiveness scripturally is, is based on two things. One is so I can either um, mend the relationship. That's for one reason. And the second one, so I can move on past the hurt. Okay, so there are two things now. uh, So if 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 uh, I'm going to mend the relationships, if I'm going to reconcile, I have to be able to put it behind us so we can move forward. If I don't put it behind us, then we will always live in that pain forever. Right. And and so we, we can't do anything about it. So I have to be able to make a decision. And that is really, can I put the pain behind me? Can I put it behind me? If I cannot put it behind me, then I have to forgive so I can move on. Now, forgiveness don't it mean does not mean I accept what you did was right. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean that, you know, I all of a sudden discount what you did. Forgiveness means I will not try to get even for what you did. Right. And, and that's the key. That's all forgiveness is. I will not, I will not lay the penalty upon you that I would have given you for what you have done. And and that's how the Bible looks at forgiveness. For example, our Heavenly Father forgives us. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says what we did now becomes right. Right. You know, all it says is is that the penalty for what we have done Will not be charged to us, right. and so that's really all forgiveness is. So if you slap me, normally, let's say, well, I'm not going to slap you back because you, you know, a little bigger than I am. I'm going to run. But let's say, generally speaking, if someone slaps you, you slap them back, you know, because right. you're thinking tit for tat. Forgiveness means you slap me. I don't slap you back. I don't do that. That doesn't mean I accept you keep slapping me. Right. That just means I don't try to get even with you for it. And so that don't mean I still hang around you all the time. It just means what? I'm doing that to get back, you know, past that. Right. But there may be a case where I say, you know what? Being around you is a great benefit to me. I learn a lot from you. Mm-hmm. So then I'll say, well, you know what? I will overlook your tendency to slap me because I value being around you. Right. So now it becomes up to me to not put myself close enough to you where your arms can reach my face. Right. But I can still be around you. So I have to make the, the effort to ensure that what can be an issue doesn't become an issue again.
0: Well, really good um, content here, Pastor. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of uh, Everyday Strong. Um also, for the listeners, please, if you got anything, anything you'd like to tell us, any topics or whatnot, please hit us up on our Facebook page at Enoch Baptist Church Facebook, Facebook page and just go up there and send us an um, inbox, us a message. Tell us a you what type of topics you'd like us to uh, cover and we'll be more than happy to cover it. Um, Dr. Dan, so anything coming up in the next coming uh, weeks by today being the first day of spring, got a whole lot coming up.
1: Well, you know, we, you know, Easter, Easter season is upon us and, uh, certainly, um, I hate to make it seem like the only time we want people to come to churches is Christmas and Easter. Right. But uh, again, uh, we, want, we want to encourage folk to at least uh, uh, make a special effort uh, to uh, get out during the Easter uh, uh, Sundays and and visit your local church. We would love for you to come to Edont Baptist Church, but visit your local church. At least make that an effort to go out and uh, and start the season off, off right. And uh, we just thank everybody for listening, and uh, thank you
0: for having us. Uh, and also, I'd like to make this statement— if you double park at e Out Baptist Church, please make sure you're one of the first people out the door <laughs> to, to move your car. You know, Pastor says that every, almost every week and we have <laughs> the same issue. So, but that's just a little fun note for people on Easter because I know it's going to be packed like it always is. And the reason I say that is because I was one of the people blocked in one Easter Sunday and I was sitting out there for 20 minutes. Well, yeah. that's a good problem to have, I might add. <laughs> yes, it is. And that's even with the new parking uh, lot in the back now. So a lot of good things going on in the church. Um, Thank you once again, Pastor. Thank you, congregation. Till next time.